Hello and welcome to Biblical Breadcrumbs, the series where I break down a bit of the Bible to get you to look at it more. In this episode, we'll be in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 14, and check out the next couple of sections there. You know, last time we finished off this, this cycle, I guess you could call it, a big cycle in the first bits of chapter 9 and the entirety of chapter 8. So we remember how chapter 8 starts off with Jesus healing uh, leprosy, right? And chapter 8 ends with Jesus healing um, demon possession from a couple different people. He throws demons into a bunch of pigs. He kills all the demons. He kills all the pigs as well, and he gets run out of a town. You see kind of the, the, the power shift there? Because we have a little we have a little difference in where Jesus starts out walking down a mountain healing one guy and healing two people of a really just really savage possession and you know cleansing an entire hillside and kind of an entire country as well. There's a little bit of a power progression there. And from there it goes even more impressive when he walks up to a paralytic and says, Hey, your sins are forgiven. Because that's a whole nother dynamic. And so now Jesus can forgive sins. That's established, right? And so just like leprosy, this horrible, horrible, debilitating disease in chapter 8, now you've got sin that Jesus is able to remove. And you see how Matthew capstones this in verse 9, chapter 9 and verse 9, when Matthew says, hey, Jesus saw this guy called Matthew, and he said, follow me, right? Not only can Jesus heal just generic sin sin in in general jesus can heal quality of sin like sin of the highest order right tax collectors pretty despised universally hated they're traitors to the jews and really they're traitors to the romans as well they're willing to betray their own people to help the roman government rome doesn't trust them particularly and the jews don't trust them either these are like outcasts right half-breeds basically Jesus can forgive those kind of sins. And not only can he forgive the quality, right? Just like he healed Peter's mother, showing the quality control he has. No, he then, after healing Peter's mother in chapter 8, he healed the quantity of people. And after removing Matthew's sin in chapter 9, he goes to eat with many tax collectors and sinners. In, verse, in chapter 9 and verse 10. You see that? You see the parallels there? Matthew's writing all of this in this way for a reason, and it's really, really cool. So he's ended off in verse 12 and 13 by saying, hey, I'm here to help people, right? There's this ridicule from the Pharisees of, hey, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. That's evil. That's unclean. And Jesus says, look, you know what? I'm here to help people. I don't care what you think about me. I'm here to do good to people to help those who need me. So now we get into verse 14. Matthew chapter 9 in verse 14. Then John's disciples came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests be sad when while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And no one puts the new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. 
what is Jesus talking about here? Firstly, John's disciples come to him. Jesus is here to to help those who need him, right? And back in verse 12, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick, right? In that instance, it's the tax collectors and sinners. They need Jesus's help. Now it's John's disciples. They need Jesus's help to explain them to them a question. John's disciples fast because that's what's commanded. The Pharisees fast because, well, kind of that's what's commanded and kind of because it gave them a really good reputation, right? But, but they fast because it's commanded. And Jesus' disciples don't do that. Now, why is that? Jesus has got kind of a two-part answer here. First part is this. Think about going to a party. When you go to to some kind of some kind of party, some kind of celebration, you know, a wedding, a wedding works pretty well. Are those generally like happier occasions or very very sad ones? <coughs> Excuse me. Are those something we rejoice at or are those something that we like despise and and dread going to? Okay, well, I dread going to weddings, but that's just because I don't like them in general. But it's not like a sad occasion. Right? It's not like something that is sad. No. When you go to a wedding, when you go to a, a birthday celebration, when you go to a party, you're going to be happy. When you show up to a wedding, you're not depressed around the bride and the groom. Right? You are happy for them. Are you going to act depressed? Are, are you going to fast and deprive yourself? Are you going to, like, make yourself in a worse state of cheerfulness while God himself is here? If God were to live among us today, would he want us to be, (laughs) would we be expected to celebrate around him or mourn that he's here? He's God. I'm pretty sure we'd be expected to celebrate. And so Jesus is saying, hey, think about what you're saying. God expects people to be happy that I'm here because I'm important and so don't fault don't fault these disciples for not fasting that's not in the contract that's not where they're supposed to be doing anyway this is normal behavior we see this in in all sorts of physical ways look at it spiritually as well here's the other thing with that um in essence you know what fasting is it's depriving yourself of something to go dedicate yourself to God. So think about these disciples. Have Are these disciples really not fasting? I mean, sure, they're eating food, I assume, most of the time or all of the time. But aren't these the disciples that walked away from their families to be able to join Jesus? And aren't these the guys that, that walked away from the fishing boats? And left all their livelihood behind them so that they could go and be with Jesus and spend time around him. Right? Don't you think that these people would uh, would recognize that they're dedicating time to God and depriving themselves of things? They're fasting in a different sense. And so, like, yeah, they're not going to not eat because they need to eat to be around him. It's normal to eat. But they're also, like, kind of still doing it. 
are we judging the actions here or are we judging the heart behind it? You know, I think we had a similar idea to that in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, like chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount, you know? You know, you, you like all of the Sermon on the Mount. Are we judging the actions of the apostles? Oh, they eat bread while Jesus is around. Whoa. Or are we judging the hearts of the apostles? Wow, they've given up a lot to be with the Lord. They are fasting. So be careful how you're judging them. Just apostles of John, be careful about that. Watch out and don't be too hasty. Now, Jesus is going to give a second argument here as well. Right? It's not just, hey, you can't be sad when the groom's with you. You should be happy. No, no, no. There's a second argument here as well because here's the thing. If you have an old shirt and you need to patch a hole in it, I'm not a seamstress, so I don't really know too much about it, but uh, here's what Jesus says. If you have an old shirt and it's got a hole in it that you need to patch up and, and take care of, do you use a new piece of cloth? piece of cloth that hasn't shrunk yet? No, because you would make a patch appropriate for that hole, right? And you'd sew it into that garment. And then when it shrinks, it's going to rip another hole in the shirt because it's going to be attached somewhere else. And so in trying to fix the problem, in trying to put something old on or something new on something old, you kind of just made the problem worse. You kind of just made a bigger hole and a bigger mess in the beginning than you than you wanted. And so, hey, don't do that. What about wine? I know even less about wine than about sewing, but uh, here's what Jesus says. What about wine? Right, you have old wineskins, and you fill them up with new wine. What's the problem with that? So from what I know, um, if you have a wineskin, those are generally like not, uh, they're, they're, how do I explain it? They're empty, and they're waiting to be filled with something. And so you put wine in it. And as wine settles, it expands a little bit. And as that happens, the new wineskin, right, it's, it's fresh, it's stretchy a little bit. And so it'll expand with the wine to make sure that there's still a good container there. And then the wineskin grows a little bit, but that's okay because the wineskin's able to. And then you can have just like a full packet of wine. Here's the thing. What happens if you have old wineskins, wineskins that have already been stretched out, and you fill those full of wine? Then the new wine settles, and the new wine expands a little bit, and the old wineskins, which have already stretched and already expanded, they don't have anywhere to go. And so those pop, and all the new stuff gets wasted because you tried to put the old and the new together. What do you think Jesus is saying here? Don't take old things and put them together with new things, right? Don't try to put the new thing on top of the old thing to make it function. Don't try to put the new thing inside of the old thing to make it function because it doesn't work like that. No, we're dealing with something different here. Think about what fasting is. Where is fasting commanded in the Bible? It's in the Old Testament, right? There are a couple, like, I think a couple feast days command fasting maybe, or no, no, fasting is a suggestion, sorry, in the Old Testament. And there are some fast days that Israel 
consecrates right or, or memorializes stuff like the the sacking of the temple and the fall of jerusalem they memorialize those in fast days i'm i'm remembering it wrong but uh that's not really like a command that i remember but it's also in the old testament why are you trying to bind old testament laws on new testament people and yes, these people are Jewish, but like Jesus is changing the rule set here. Don't try to make the new things that Jesus is teaching fit inside of the old things. It's not going to work. Don't try to make the new things that Jesus is teaching fit on top of the old things. That's not going to work. You're going to rip apart the old law and you're going to waste the potential of the new one, right? You're going to waste that new patch because... Eh, you, you put it on the wrong thing. You're going to waste that wine because you put it inside of the wrong thing. Don't waste what God's given. And don't try to combine what God's given with what God gave at another point. Don't put the old and the new together. Don't bind fasting on these people nowadays. Sure, they'll fast eventually, but like, don't, don't bind that law. And so, Jesus, Jesus thus answers John's disciples. They needed his help. They needed a question answered, and Jesus said, all right, here you go. Like, here's my reasoning for this. And now he's done. Apparently, they, they accept that. I'm not sure. But it doesn't say anything else about them. And so John's disciples' question answered. Box checked off. Wonderful, wonderful things. So now we get to verse 18, which is just kind of another story at the end of the last story that just happened. Now, why is this one here? I think this is still coming back to verses 12 and 13, right? I'm helping those people who need help. I'm helping those people who need me. John's disciples need me. This random guy also needs me. This random woman also needs me. And so look at verse 18, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 18. As he was telling them these things, suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt down before him, saying, My daughter just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. Just then a woman who had been suffering from bleeding for twelve years approached from behind and touched the edge of his robe. For she said to herself, If I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. Jesus turned and saw her. Have courage, daughter, he said. Your faith has saved you. And the woman was made well from that moment. When Jesus came to the leader's house, he saw the flute players in the crowd lamenting loudly. Leave, he said, because the girl is not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. The news of this spread throughout that whole area. We have a quick little two stories here, right? These are people that need Jesus' help, that need his assistance in some interesting ways. And so there's this, there's this leader right, whoever that is, that suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt down and said, hey, my kid's dead and you need to help her. Now, this is really interesting. <laughs> Why do you think this guy believes that Jesus can resurrect his daughter? How often has resurrection happened before? Is it like 2 Kings 4, maybe? I forgot to look it up. 2 Kings 6, something like that. 
Elisha resurrects a kid. Elijah might resurrect a kid. That's in 1 Kings 17. I have questions about that passage. So, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say for sure that's Elijah resurrecting someone, but it's it's pretty similar, right? But besides that, there are a few vague references that might be in the in the Old Testament, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. Maybe he's maybe those people are alluding to something, but we don't really know, right? They definitely didn't have much of that concept at this moment in time. Remember, Jesus hasn't resurrected yet, so like resurrection is not really a thing. Greek culture does not have it, and so. Why does this guy bring up resurrection? We just got out of a section that said, hey, don't bind old laws on the new people. This guy is not binding old laws of resurrection can't happen, right? Old laws of miracles can't happen. Old laws of, well, well, God doesn't talk through the prophets anymore. He's taken 400 years off. No, there are no old laws being bound on him here. This official just comes and says, hey, there's this thing. It's definitely impossible. You can do it. And so Jesus and his disciples go. Now, there's also a woman on this road. Happens to be a woman. She happens to have had some kind of bleeding for 12 years. That doesn't sound very unpleasant, nor very... uh, That does sound very unpleasant. It does not sound very healthy. And so she has this brilliant idea, right? If I stealth mode up to Jesus and I touch his clothes, and then I scamper away, I'll, I'll be scot-free and also healed. Now, if that ain't just the most amazing plan. So she sneaks up, right? She, she stealths all the way up to Jesus, to behind him. She touches the hem of his, his robe, his cloak. Does she get healed? If you were reading Luke, she would. Right? If you were reading Luke's account of this, yes, she does get healed. But we're reading Matthew's account of this. Does she get healed when she touches Jesus' robe? No. No, she doesn't. Nothing happens except that Jesus turns around and gives her a command. He says, have courage. Daughter, your faith has saved you, in verse 22, and... The woman was made well from that moment. What's Matthew trying to emphasize there? In Luke's account, it's the woman's faith that's being emphasized, I think. Her coming up to Jesus and 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 touching his robe, being healed from that. And then Jesus turns around and says, hey, who did this? And she ends up confessing. It's her faith. It's her character that we're talking about there. Here we're not. Here we're talking about Jesus's authority. And so that's the viewpoint of the book of Matthew. And so Matthew has the situation where someone just comes up and tries to take something from Jesus and it doesn't happen. Jesus gives it. Jesus commands that it be done. Think about this. Does Does it behoove you to get close to Jesus or to get around Jesus, to be like in his general proximity, to touch his clothes even, right? That close to him, but not actually talk to him or, or, or be with him or spend time with him or communicate with him. Does God expect us to spend time with Jesus and to know who he is? Or does God just want us to get in his general vicinity and then everything's going to be okay? 
I think Jesus here suggests that it's not going to be okay to just be around him. No, nothing happened when she was just around him. It's only when there was direct communication there that something happened. Maybe God's saying, hey, we need to interact with this Jesus a little bit. Maybe we need to, to show our faith to work for him rather than to just kind of show up to church, rather than to just kind of be there and, and be vaguely a good person and help some people maybe. That's not what God's going for, and that's not what Jesus is looking for. Have courage, daughter. Your faith has saved you. And the woman was made well from that moment. Now, I know this episode's going to go a couple minutes long, but I think this part's really very, very interesting, and not for the resurrection bit, because that's just kind of boring, okay? Sorry, it, it is. Jesus gets to this guy's house. What happens to the woman? No idea. Jesus gets to this guy's house. And he sees a bunch of professional mourners there, right? Flute, fruit, ugh, flute players and a crowd lamenting loudly. Wow, sounds amazing. 10 out of 10 funeral. Congratulations for the parents. Why are they having a funeral when, when this guy has come to Jesus? I don't really know, but it's okay. Jesus gets there, sees all these people. And what does he say to them? But he commands them to get out. You see that in verse 24? First thing he says to them, leave. The girl is not dead. She is sleeping. Get out of here. I don't want you around. You don't need to be here. Stop intruding in this area on these people's privacy. Right, right. Get out. We don't need you. Now, when Jesus commands the leprosy to leave in Matthew chapter 8, what happens? The leprosy is gone. When Jesus commands that the, um, the, the paralyzed servant, or, or whatever his illness was, when, when Jesus commands that that servant was healed in Matthew chapter 8, what happens? That guy's healed. When Jesus commands the fever out of Peter's mother-in-law, or he commands those, the, the healing and the, and the exorcisms of those other many, like many individuals, what happens, but those things happen, just as he said they would, what happens when Jesus commands the sea and the sky to be silent and be peaceful? They are. What happens when Jesus commands the demons to go into the herd of pigs to leave these men alone and all the pigs go off and like commit suicide after, uh, off of the cliff, you know? What happens when Jesus tells something to happen? When he says your sins are removed? When he says, you're, like, get up and go home? And the paralytic gets up and goes home. What happens? It always happens just as Jesus says. So Jesus comes to this people and he says, leave, get out. You don't need to be here in verse 24. And what do they do? They laugh at him and don't go. Why the difference? Why is it important to note this difference here? The crowd does not leave when God tells them to leave. You know, the leprosy didn't have a choice but to get out when God said to. The, the, the sin didn't have a choice but to leave when God removed it. The paralysis didn't have a choice but to leave when Jesus said, hey, get out, go home. The demons didn't have a choice when Jesus told them to leave those men. But mankind always has a choice. 
Jesus commands, he says, leave. These people laugh at him. And verse 25, after the crowd had been put outside. No, that's not picking at minute detail. That's how it's written. After the crowd had been put outside, someone had to go and do it for him. Because this crowd was not obedient to the word of the Lord. The Lord gives free will to humans, and humans are the ones who are able to misuse it. The sea listened to him, the sky listened to him, the demons listened to him, the, the, the leprosy listened to him, the paralysis listened to him, the sin listened to him. Humanity didn't. What are we going to choose? And who are we going to listen to? That's our choice. And that's how God made it. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went, in, he went inside and took her by the hand and the girl got up and now she's healed. Resurrection just happened. But it's so inconsequential. Because that's not really the point anymore. We don't need to see Jesus being more powerful. He's proven he can forgive sins. What else does he need to prove? Right? He's proven that. We don't need anything else from him. No, what we need from him is, is to show his authority. And he has authority over the sickness of the woman. He has authority over the death of the girl. But he doesn't have authority over humans' free will. We're allowed to choose. Could Jesus have commanded in such a way that they would have to leave? Yes, he is God. He could do that if he wanted to. But God gives us a choice. And that's what we're left with in Matthew chapter 9. I hope that's helpful for you. I hope that that makes sense as to where we're at in the story, why these stories all make sense together, and what they actually then mean. Congratulations on the girl for getting resurrected. Um, but that's really not the point of this whole section. So I hope that's helpful. I hope you're, um, you're excited about that because it's a really cool chain of events that's happening and it's still going on. We've got probably one more episode in the end of chapter 9 and then one more episode in the end of 9 starting into 10 because that should all kind of be lumped together in chapter 10. And we'll start talking about that in the next in the in the next episode this week, and I guess the first episode next week. So, thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed. Hope it's helpful. And I'll see you on the next episode of Biblical Breadcrumbs.